being of service to others from a positive psychological perspective, what really matters is to identify what your values are. Because when you know exactly what are those things that are really important to you in life, those ways of being, and then you look at how you can use that to maybe make a positive impact in the lives of others and in the world, that is you living your purpose. You could literally say, purpose is your values in action, in service to other people. Hello and welcome back to the Air Great Podcast with your host, Unique Hammond. I am a holistic nutritionist, a health coach, an author, a survivor of the nasty ass Crohn's disease. I have been in remission naturally with diet, I know gasp, for eight and a half years and I feel amazing and I live a normal life, which to me continues to be a blessing and not without work. I show up for my health every day. I know the conversation in the health world is that diet doesn't matter and all of that stuff. I'm living proof that that is not correct. And I'm a huge fan of science. If you follow me, you know this. I straddle the worlds of loving the science, but also knowing that science doesn't know everything. And the medical community doesn't really goes off what science is saying, and science really hasn't caught up to some of the other knowledge in the world. So it's the best we know right now, which leaves a lot of room for not knowing. And in that not knowing is a lot of power. And I'm living proof of that power. So this podcast, this career is dedicated to the space in between what we know and what we don't know. I'm a big believer in belief. And I had a deep belief that I could heal naturally and stay in remission naturally. When I met Crohn's disease, I didn't know Crohn's existed. And now I have this deep well of compassion and love and kindness for people I will never meet who struggle with this beast because, or any beast for that matter, that takes away your life and throws you to the ground and makes you realize how important life is and friends and family and taking care of your health. I mean, there is nothing. There is nothing more important. I look back and I realize the most selfish thing I have ever done in my life is not prioritize my health and well-being. I just thought it was going to take care of itself, you know? I was young. I thought, I'm Superman until my expiration date hit in my late 20s. And then I was no longer Superman. I was really, really human and fragile. And that was humbling and beautiful. And I would like to never go back there. Thank you very much. Anyway, I have no idea where all that just came from, but here we are. Thanks for staying with me. I, I have Micah, Dr. Micah on the podcast today. I've been following her, The Flourishing Doc on Instagram. She's a psychologist, a coach, and a flourishing and self-leadership fanatic. She's just also a lovely human. I uh, have admired her from afar. So I was very excited when she agreed to come on the podcast and talk about flourishing. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And I also wanted to remind you that if you are a current protocol holder of the Bean Protocol from myself or Karen, that you can join my community and ongoing coaching. If you're on my newsletter, you will be getting emails about that. And also, 
the waitlist is open on my website for next year's live coaching experience that runs for 12 weeks. 12 weeks we will spend together navigating the ins and outs of eating well, creating new habits, and supporting each other every step of the way. It was amazing. I did my first group in 2023, and I loved it so much that I will probably run it a couple times a year. So if you are interested in getting in on that, the actual course will start the second week of January. Anyway, enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Dr. Micah, welcome to the Year Great Podcast. Thank you so much for being here with me. I've been following your work for a while now, and I just love what you're putting out. It's so positive, but also realistic. It's not this toxic approach to flourishing. It's really realistic and approaching it from such a, a human way of doing it is how I, and, and, and obviously as a psychologist, you're trained and, you know, well thought out about how you're approaching, putting out the information in the world, which I also really appreciate. So thank you for being here. That is so sweet, Unique. Thank you so much for having me. And I love that that is something that stood out to you, that it's not toxically positive what I'm putting out. It is so hard, I think, sometimes to find the right balance with, you know, not having the luxury of always being able to provide all the context you would love to provide on social media, especially as a psychologist. You try to be careful not to tread on anyone's toes, not to aggravate anything. So I love that there's something you noticed and it is certainly super important because as you know, I work in positive psychology and in the beginning of positive psychology science, it certainly was a little bit criticized for just focusing overly on the positive aspects of humans. And it certainly has gone through a couple of waves and different stages. And one of them was finding the right balance and making sure that we look at the whole person and integrating both positive and negative aspects of life. Because let's be honest, we can grow from everything. And you can't really have one without the other, right? I believe that it is those difficult experiences in our lives that allow us to appreciate and really enjoy when things are going with ease. And it is the contrast. But I do you find that people tend to be more negative than positive in their lives? Well, that's a great question because, you know, there's a thing that you probably have heard about. It's called the negativity bias. So we're kind of neurologically wired to focus on the negatives. And it's simply because it's this mechanism that we have inbuilt that has helped us to survive over the years. But as you probably know as well, these days, it really doesn't serve us all too well anymore, that negativity bias, because we're not most of us aren't really in danger by lions or bears or anything like that. So those physical dangers are gone, luckily, for most of us. However, our brain doesn't distinguish between physical threat and metaphorical threat or threat to our status or anything like that. So, of course, all of that, you know, induces, you know, feelings of anxiety and that sort of stuff. So our brain still scans for all those potential negatives or threats in our environment. So we probably tend to be more negative than positive. And we most certainly know that we have to counterbalance that negativity bias with conscious effort by focusing on the positives or noticing the positives. And I, again, don't mean that in a toxic, toxically positive way, 
I simply mean things like we know that things like gratitude practice is so good for our mental well-being or keeping a success log where we consciously put, you know, our focus on the things that have been going well in our lives or that we have been doing well during the day or something like that. So we know that there is a wealth of benefits to practices like these that counterbalance that negativity bias. I'm basically saying, yes, I think naturally as human beings, we tend to have a bit more of a focus on the negative and we have to put some effort into noticing the positives. And I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing to know that we might be set up that way because if we find ourselves in not negative thought process or pattern to be, oh, this is my, my natural or a set point could be, and I'm sure it varies from person to person is to drift into what's not working or to drift into, you know, where I can do better versus focusing on where I am doing well and focusing on, yeah, those there's always in everybody's life, there's always going to be a place where we can better something, but it doesn't mean that we're not great in other areas. So it's, you know, but I, I have that, like the reason why I follow you is because in my life, I've noticed that I tend to have these really interesting fears. And, and I'm like, wow, you know, if I look around, I'm, I have a wonderful relationship. I have a wonderful family. I'm, there's nothing to be scared of. And yet I have these interesting internal triggers of fear. And I'm like, where is that coming from? Why am I just a fearful person? Like what is going on? (laughs) Absolutely. And I love that you're keeping it real. And you know what, Unique, I can relate to that too. You know, those fears and that scanning for things that could possibly go wrong and so forth. And I love that you're highlighting that because I think it's so important that every now and then we stop ourselves in that constant scanning and hustle for better and we need to grow more and so forth because every now and then we should really stop and appreciate all the things we are doing well and the things that are already going well and that are already right in our lives because it's so healing and feels so wholesome when we do that, doesn't it? So I absolutely relate to that. And I think it's a natural thing that happens when we have this ambition to become better, to serve better, to grow as a person. And it's certainly something we need. We all need personal growth. It's part of our flourishing. But that doesn't mean that we should do that excessively. Anything in excess is usually bad, isn't it? It's all about (laughs) finding that right balance. So I love that you highlighted that. (laughs) Balance. It's interesting. I think that is probably the most difficult thing for humans to achieve is balance, but it is the one thing, whether it's in nutrition or in our minds or in our life to actually create balance is, is where we, I would imagine flourish, but I would love for you to tell us and, and my community, how does one flourish? Like, how do we take our life? If we have a job we don't love, but it pays our bills, like how do we flourish in this world today? Mm. I'm happy to answer that in just a second because <laughs> something else that I just picked in, <laughs> up on what you just said is that finding that balance because it's exactly what I said to a friend of mine the other day. I think it's such a struggle to integrate all the contrasts and paradoxes in life. You know, what we just mentioned, we strive for, let's say, success and for growth, but also we know we need stillness and we want to reduce the stress in our lives. So it's like constantly these forces that are pulling us in opposite directions. And 
you know, when you ask about what, how do we flourish? Well, what is flourishing or what is well-being? I think a beautiful way to perhaps define that is to say it's our ability to integrate those contrasting opposite forces. I really believe that that is the key in life and the key to well-being because it really is hard, but we need all those contrasts and all those paradoxes. That is what life is. When we're dead, we will be in stillness forever. You know, (laughs) life is growth and, you know, pulling and so forth. But maybe to answer your question of what flourishing is or how we flourish more, let's say, scientifically or appropriately, Flourishing is a term that we know of in positive psychology. So positive psychology is a subdiscipline of psychology that is all about answering questions like, how can we live a really good life? How can we be maybe happy in a fulfilling, lasting way in life? How can we thrive in life? So flourishing obviously pops up there. It's a very big and can be a very blurry construct. And as with with most things in psychology or in science, we have different kinds of theories that might explain certain words or constructs in slightly different ways. When it comes to flourishing, a theory that I really like is one by Professor Corey Keyes and how he defines it. And basically, it's the intersection or the combination of emotional well-being, psychological well-being, and social well-being. What does that mean? Emotional well-being is basically when you experience joy in life. So that little bit of everyday hedonistic happiness or joy, where literally it's those moments of joy and pleasure. And yes, they are important because we need them to carry us through everyday life. Emotional well-being is, if you want to put it into one word, is joy. But you can also make it a little bit more complex or a little bit more appropriate and say it's also it has a cognitive component of life evaluation. So looking at what do I need and want in life and how far have I achieved that so far? So that's emotional well-being. Then we have psychological well-being, and that is more about how engaged you feel in life. So whether you are deeply interested in your activities in everyday life, perhaps your job also experiencing personal meaning and fulfillment, those kinds of things. And then we have social well-being, and that's all about a deep connection to yourself and to others and the community around yourself and feeling as though you can contribute to something greater than yourself. So according to Professor Korakis, those three elements for flourishing. And he uses it, the word flourishing as a synonym to mental well-being. When we think of mental health, that is kind of like a a phrase or a word that stands beyond mental well-being. So when we talk about mental health, usually most of us straight away think of mental illness, right? Like depression, anxiety. We know we don't want those mental illnesses. So that's what we understand under mental health. But the thing is that Corey Keyes actually said in, in his TED talk or in a talk he gave once, to think of mental health in that way is insane. Oh, very good. <laughs> Which I thought was very poignant. Because the thing is that we know from research that for complete mental health, we actually need two things. Of course, we want an absence of mental illness, but we also know that we need a presence of mental well-being or flourishing. 
So it's not just this one continuum where on one side you have no mental illness and on the other side you have mental illness, where hopefully when you do have mental illness, you see a clinical psychologist or a psychotherapist and you get some treatment and support and then you slide along this continuum towards no mental illness. We know that in order to be completely mentally healthy, we also need to move on another scale that is kind of perpendicular to this, where on the top, let's say you have mental well-being or flourishing, and on the opposite end of that scale, you have no or low mental well-being or languishing. And that is a term that many of us have become familiar with during the pandemic, when we notice that, okay, I know I don't have depression or maybe I don't have anxiety, I don't have a mental illness, but I'm not feeling right. You know, we've been isolated for a long period of time. Maybe we couldn't work as we usually did. We most certainly couldn't go out like we did or maybe travel like we did. So all those things that I just said before are part of our flourishing all of a sudden fell away. And so what's happened then is that we moved along that scale from flourishing to languishing. And all of a sudden, we just feel like, we are bored out of our brains. We feel like living zombies. We feel like we operate, but we don't feel fulfilled, those kinds of things. So languishing is the opposite of flourishing. <laughs> but can a perfectly healthy person, and it's interesting that you brought up the pandemic because as a nutritionist, I actually worked a lot during the pandemic and mm -hmm. I met a lot of people, even with the fear in the world and and kind of everybody dealing with this sense of pending death, right? Like this thing mm -hmm. kills and it could kill anybody I'd love. There were people who were flourishing mm -hmm. despite it, which was really interesting. My youngest daughter was one of them. And that surprised me so much. But within this state of lockdown, there was almost like the sense of, I accept that this is beyond my control. Therefore, mm -hmm. I let go. Yeah, it's scary. Mm -hmm. But what during this time can I do and how can I keep living despite this um this this really intense scenario that is again beyond my control. And so it was really interesting for me to see that because I have a global practice, I would be talking to people all over the world and some people would be devastated with this fear of pending doom and other people were literally living their best life. And mm. it was so interesting to see and I don't know what and maybe you could tell me what you think the difference is, is it, and it is sometimes flourishing and acceptance of the things that you cannot control and focusing on the things you can. And it, and for some people it is this sense of like, I want to control this pandemic and I can't, therefore I'm devastated. And I mean, like yeah. a perfectly healthy person can have moments where they don't flourish. I am, I would consider mm -hmm. myself a mentally healthy person where I enjoy feeling satisfied and accept when I've done a job well done. I have these reward systems of like, ooh, I am so satisfied. And, mm -hmm. and I did that really well. And ooh, I could do better on that. But yeah, but mm -hmm. I've had moments in my life where I have felt depressed and low and sad. And, and I've really allowed myself to languish in those feelings and be there mm -hmm. for those feelings. But I've also moved through them. Like I don't get stuck in them. You can pick mm -hmm. whatever you want to talk about, but I just threw <laughs> a lot at you. <laughs> 
I love the way your mind works, Unique, and I love all of those questions. So I'd like to pick all of them, please. Take so maybe just start, start at the beginning. <laughs> so the first question was about can someone still, you know, flourish? For example, throughout the pandemic, how does it make sense that, you know, some people really maybe even flourished more than they did before, even though there was this pending loom of, you know, some people might die, maybe even myself and so forth. Short answer to that question is absolutely can we flourish in those situations so something that is very critical that you just mentioned while you were describing this was understanding what we can and cannot control is absolute key being able to distinguish between those two is so important and it's important because Something that I didn't mention before when I explained what what psychological well-being was, I said, you know, it's a deep interest in life and feeling like it's meaningful and fulfilling and we also have personal growth. Part of that is also autonomy. We need to feel like we can have a say over our, our own lives. Of course, this is slightly contradicting because during the pandemic, we felt like all control was taken away from us. But then looking at the specifics of, okay, all these things that I felt like I could control before are all in a sudden taken out of my own hands, but what can I control? For example, I can make a difference by calling in and checking in on my loved ones and making sure they're okay. Or, okay, maybe I can't travel overseas now, but maybe I can still travel locally. Or, okay, maybe I can't work in my job now as I used to, but maybe this is my opportunity to start my own side hustle that I always had in the back of my mind, never had the time for it. By the way, this is me. I, I was that person. So, you know, when all of a sudden a whole world is shaken up and we are shaken out of those routines that we were all so familiar with, it makes us think in a different way and it can make us creative. And by the way, it can really make us grow as a person. There is a term called post-traumatic growth. So this is more usually something that happens after maybe a traumatic event or something like that, where not even despite of something negative happening to us, but because of something negative happening to us, we grow immensely and we find meaning in life or whatever. So that's all to say that absolutely can we flourish when something challenging is happening in our lives. So absolutely, I think we can see, you know, and it, it also has to do with how resilient we are as well, you know, and it all sort of bounces back and forth between, you know, flourishing and, and resilience and so forth. So absolutely, in terms of, you know, having that autonomy and finding and defining that autonomy for ourselves, absolutely. And now I'm hoping to answer that second part of that question, which I'm trying to jog my memory what that was. <laughs> well, I think what I said is that, you know, to be a perfectly healthy person, but to also oh, have yeah. times where you're not flourishing. And mm -hmm. and because what I heard you say in one of the three pillars was that there's this range of flourishing mm -hmm. and languishing. But is mm -hmm. there in a healthy person's life, do we fluctuate? Yeah. Yeah. And is that normal? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's normal. And when I described those continua before, they literally are continua. We are barely ever at one extreme end or the other. We are somewhere in between and we do fluctuate. Life is movement. Life is flow, right? Life is constant change. So 
we do also fluctuate. Usually we have a little bit of a set point maybe. So, it, uh, you know, similar as with our body weight, right, which you probably know better than I do, but usually, you know, have you have a set point with your body weight where, you know, you over a certain period of time, you might lose or gain a little bit of weight and that's normal, but it's usually around this set point that we have. And we, in fact, know that, from you know research studies on happiness and so forth we even have a set point for our sort of happiness levels mm. and what's even more important to highlight is because i know you mentioned this before you know maybe you were depressed a little bit but you know maybe you or or you know and but you were still experiencing meaning in life or you were depressed but you also allowed yourself to languish through those times and it was healing. So in that sense, I'm not sure if languishing has a slightly different meaning. Hmm. But what I want to say, when I describe those two continua, what is really important to understand is that, in fact, we can have a mental illness, but still flourish in life. So I'll speak for myself. I, every now and then, I struggle with anxiety. You know, sometimes I have it a little bit better under control than other times. And again, it's normal. I operate completely fine in my day-to-day -day life. I know that some certain triggers can flare up this anxiety a little bit. But I generally also flourish in my life. And in fact, I can feel as though my life is meaningful and I grow as a person and so forth and building deep connections while I'm in experiencing this anxiety. So yes, we can have a mental illness and we can flourish at the same time. We can also languish at the same time. We can also be free from mental illness, but also languish in life when, again, we feel like that living robot, like we're just functioning and doing our chores and Monday to Friday, nine to five and getting up and, you know, sleep, work, eat, repeat kind of thing. So we can have those too. And what's really important is that Research shows that when we flourish in life, we are more likely to sort of keep mental illnesses at bay. So if we do have a mental illness, we are more likely to recover from that and also to recover faster. And, you know, by the same token, if we are languishing, we are more likely to develop a mental illness. So it's just important that we are aware of those two components of mental health and that we just you know don't just think okay I'm currently not diagnosed with a mental illness great everything is fine I don't need to do anything else for my mental health there are loads of things that are important for mental health and one of them is a very big one is to look at our mental well-being and how we can support ourselves to flourish in life so if you're a person who feels that they're always struggling you know that mm -hmm. every day is a struggle i i'll i'll just be very honest for mm -hmm. probably the first 30 years of my life i was really stuck with the existential question of why am i here and that mm -hmm. question was heavy for me because i couldn't mm -hmm. see a purpose and a reason why i was here and mm -hmm. i felt really anxious all the time and down on myself and so what I found myself doing was picking on myself. You're not good enough at this and you're not good enough at that. And, and really ruminating on all the ways that I didn't fit in in the world. My parents, you know, set me up for that one with the name unique. But anyway, it was like, you know, <laughs> so I really was stuck in my head a lot. And because I was stuck in my head a lot with this existential question of why am I here? What is the point? What is the purpose? Am I just here to eat, breed and repeat? Like I was really 
an intense kid, like stuck in the human condition. And because of that, I felt anxious. I felt self-conscious, low self-esteem. I was really trying to figure stuff out. So if you're Mm. that person and you're struggling with this existential question, that really definitely put me in a state of like not a healthy mental state because I was ruminating Mm. all the time. For listeners who maybe identify with this, how do you begin to dig yourself out of that hole? I couldn't afford therapy. So I know that would have been one step, but I was young and I was like, therapist, that's like 150 bucks that I don't have. How do you begin to Mm. dig yourself out of that ruminating hole? Mm, Very big question. And again, I need to flag at this stage that I'm not a clinical psychologist. And, you know, please, if that is the case for you, please go and get support if you can. So very big question, because there are so many components and elements to that. And also depends how it presents in life. So for example, you know, you say ruminating, when I hear ruminating, I'm thinking, thinking things over and over again, especially at nighttime, right? 2am, perfect, 4am, perfect, you wake up and straight away your thoughts are there. And you think that you're solving the problem by thinking through it. And the thing is, that's the first step, I would say, Don't be fooled to think that you can think your way out of a problem. You cannot. Robbing yourself of sleep at night because you think you need to, you know, it's a habit, it's a bad habit, you know, you're in those thinking loops is not a good thing. Start by prioritizing sleep because otherwise you're going down a rabbit hole and creating this negative cycle of being sleep deprived throughout the day and that has a massive negative impact on our mental health as well. So that won't help. So don't be fooled to think you can think your way out of a problem. I would always start experimenting. What I would always also say is that, you know, as I said before, a key part of flourishing, and we cannot underestimate that, is our social well-being and our connection with others and our innate human need to want to contribute to something that is greater, that goes beyond ourselves. So, you know, and I also want to preface this by saying, I know what you're talking about. Again, I can relate to that as well. And I have so many friends, I feel like who've been going through something similar. And I think it's beautiful because it speaks to your ambition to want to be here for a purpose and for something greater than yourself and to serve and to make a positive impact. So I think it's so beautiful. And it's at the same time, so sad When you get stuck on that, you can start also digging yourself out of that by paying attention, steering your attention away from yourself and toward others because we tie ourselves in knots by just focusing on ourselves and that ego. And even though it comes from a really good place in your heart, it becomes a little bit toxic, right? And too much. So focusing on, well, how can you make a difference in the life in the lives of others. And it doesn't need to be anything grand. It can be the tiniest little things. And again, throughout the pandemic, when we noticed, you know, just checking in with our neighbors or having that tiny little bit chat at the supermarket checkout with the person and actually noticing the person who is sitting there and having a chat with them then and having those beautiful quality micro moments of connection with other people can make all the difference. So Stop thinking about yourself, as harsh as that probably sounds, but start experimenting with how you can be of service to others. And I know, Unique, that you found your way of being of service to others, and I think that's so beautiful. And I'd love to know also, you know, how you eventually managed to do that. But I think when I talk about purpose and being of service, 
to others from a positive psychological perspective, what really matters is to identify what your values are. So your core personal values, because when you know exactly what actually makes you jump out of bed in the mornings, what are those things that are really important to you in life, those ways of being. When you understand that and then you look at how you can use that to maybe make a positive impact in the lives of others and in the world, that is you living your purpose. You could literally say purpose is your values in action, in service to other people. And that's a really beautiful way to describe it as purpose. So your question was, how did I work out of that? It's interesting because for me, that was only an aspect of myself. That wasn't mm-hmm. the full me. The, there mm-hmm. were other parts of me that were learning and curious and got married and had kids. And But there was always this little part of me that was, why am I here? What mm-hmm. am I here to do? And I remember that I finally answered that question with love. You are here to love. And you are here to love yourself and you are here to love others because there wasn't at the time I I went through an extreme illness, which funny enough, led me to my purpose, Mm -hmm. which is what I do now, help others who are suffering and with their health and, and seeking answers in a very complex landscape. But my illness led me to my, my ultimate purpose. I had little kids, but there was always in the back of my mind of what is my purpose? Is my purpose just to be a mom and a wife and a, and a, a worker bee? Because I, I, I always worked. I was always a working mom and had a, a career that I built for 20 years before this one. And there was that deep sense of purpose, that, that deep sense of purpose that was personal to me individual to me. There was the bigger purpose of love my family and my partner and work hard for my career. So it wasn't like I was one dimensional. I was I was only this part of myself that that I was mm. describing. It was this one part of as I think we all are complex people, you know, multifaceted people. So mm. in other areas of my life I was thriving, but in this in this space inside of myself, I found myself constantly coming back to that late at night. What am I here to do? <laughs> what is my purpose? So it was interesting that ultimately through suffering and through illness, my purpose was born. And I don't recommend that, but it was amazing yeah. because now I do, I, I wake up every day and I can't wait to nourish my body and I can't wait to help others do the same and really figure out the matrix of what's going to nourish them in their body. And the thing that I find really interesting and and the reason why I love your work so much is because I feel like a lot of people are seeking that connection, that joy through food instead of through others. And so food has mm-hmm. taken on this very emotional place of fulfillment and a place where we can control. And I believe that if we flourish and find ways to flourish in our lives, that food becomes the fuel for flourishing versus the way we flourish, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, first of all, sh- thank you for sharing all of that. And what you're describing is exactly what I mentioned before. It's that post-traumatic growth, isn't it? So yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, you want to save other people from having to go through that, of course. What I love about your story, though, as well, is that you kind of never s- ceased to seek and explore by the sounds of it. You know, obviously you were multi-purposed already and I absolutely agree with you that we don't need to have that one big purpose and then either we find it or we don't and we're doomed. 
I so agree with you. We are complex beings. We have so many different sides to ourselves. We are multi-passionate. So why can't we be multi-purposed? So for myself, I can also share that, yes, I feel like I've also found this maybe one bigger purpose. But again, also to me, there's different sides. I also have my kids and my family and my friendships and this planet. We spoke just before we started recording this podcast about, you know, that I'm now traveling full time. For me, that is so deeply fulfilling. And I feel like to some extent, I'm living my purpose there. But absolutely, can we be multi-purposed just as we are multi-passionate as well? And I think what's important is to keep looking and experimenting and trying things out and following our intuition and paying attention to what piques our interest. I think that is so important. And of course, you know, if something, well, you'd hope that nothing big would have to happen uh, in order for, you know, that post-traumatic growth to occur and for you, you know, to find your path. But the reality is that sometimes when absolutely everything gets shaken up in the air, that's kind of when the penny drops. That's when, you know, we feel like, that one thing really stands out, you know, that we still feel connected to so much. And I mean, I have a similar experience as well. To be honest, you know, the thing was when I was younger, I always was fascinated by people who had found their purpose and people who were those go-getters who always, you know, went for it, knew exactly what they wanted and so forth. And then those other people who seemed to always get in their own way and then just complain about it and so forth. And I always wonder what is it that these guys have or do that these others don't. And I was also fascinated by near-death experiences. So people who reported about having that traumatic event, whether that was an accident or something else, you know, a terminal illness or whatever, and who said that since that moment, they started living fully. And it was like a switch had been flicked for them. You know, all of a sudden they didn't take life for granted anymore. All of a sudden they knew they were more courageous to pursue their dreams and to say that what they were really thinking and to live life on their terms. And I always wondered how can we distill what these guys have found without having to go through a traumatic event like that? I really wanted to capture that. And how can we empower other people to not only find that, but also give them the tools and the skills and the mindset to be able to pursue their goals and achieve their goals without getting in their own way? That's why I studied psychology, why I went to uni and so forth. But the reality was positive psychology, I mentioned it in the beginning, it is a relatively young science and it only, it officially was born in like the year 2000 when Martin Seligman back then became the president of the uh, American Psychological Association, Ladida, and all of a sudden all those research funds started flowing into positive psychological science. But of course, at that time, it still wasn't taught at any university let alone at the uni I was studying at in the early 2000s in Germany. And so I never never came in touch with positive psychology. So the closest I got to it was health, was health psychology, maybe talent management, so organizational psychology. And I worked in those fields. And over the years, I got used to it. And I knew the whole time that something wasn't quite right. I wasn't hitting the nail with my work, but I also couldn't figure out what it was or what it was that was, was missing. And it wasn't until one of my children was diagnosed with a very heavy illness and had to have a big surgery, you know, get treatment at hospital for basically he had to stay home for a year, and which meant that it, because he couldn't go to kindy, he got medical treatment. 
meant that I couldn't go to work. So our whole lives, the day he was diagnosed, turned upside down and everything changed. And I was thrown out of my own career. So I stayed home. And when I went back to work, when he was declared as healthy or healed, whatever, and he went back to kindy and I could finally go back into the office and I thought, thank goodness, back to normality. And I started going to work and I just realized how that little thing that was off the whole time, it was like, you know, when you have a little rock in your shoe and it like, it pushes and it it's like uncomfortable, but you kind of just slide it around in your shoe and you get on with it. It's like all of a sudden that rock had turned into a blister on my foot kind of thing. I just noticed how off things were and I got so frustrated that one day I came home and thought, stuff it. Where did I go wrong? How come I'm in this situation that I never wanted to be in? And I took pen and paper or laptop and PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) And I thought to myself, where if I had to start all over again, what would I do? Would I still go to uni? Absolutely. Study psychology without a doubt. And I asked myself, well, what are the things that have always fascinated me about this subject? And I started jotting it all down. And at the end of it, I looked at this PowerPoint presentation that I had compiled for myself. And I thought, this is it. This is the stuff I want to teach other people for the rest of my lives. And I realized, not even in that moment, but a little bit later on, that basically what I was doing was taking everything we knew about self-leadership as well as positive psychology and I combined the two into a workshop and I started teaching it around Brisbane then the Sunshine Coast and then later on started building my own business based on that because there were no jobs in that field at that time so it kind of happened also through a traumatic experience so I just wanted to highlight that sometimes unfortunately we have to go through that for the penny to drop but I also feel like in my in my situation, it was really challenging to have found something because the purpose I wanted to live didn't exist in a job world. And I wanted to live my purpose through my job, which, by the way, we don't need to live our purpose through a job, but we spend a lot of time at work and so forth. So it was really hard. So I guess sometimes maybe that's perhaps the only way we find it. And I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> Well, I was thinking as you were saying that is that what maybe why some of us need post-traumatic growth, I'm guessing that's the correct term to use here. Yeah. Like I did, like had to be at death's door to see a new path is is it possible that with our upbringing, with our friend group, with the information we take in that we're affirming where we already are. And so we don't know of a way out. And that when you have this traumatic situation happen, that suddenly you're in uncertain ground, in an uncertain land, navigating questions you've never asked yourself before. And all of a sudden, because of that, you've created a totally unknown path that you've never even thought of before because circumstances are not what you would expect them. And I think sometimes as being stuck as, you know, being in an echo chamber of our own creating, you know, we've surrounded ourselves with friends that agree with us. We've taken an information that agrees with us. So everywhere we go, we have this self-affirming narrative going and this post-traumatic growth, this penny dropping, this new life beginning 
is un- is absolutely unknown. And and as you did, you created it. You didn't, mm-hmm. you know, and you created it because you had gone through something. You'd left, had to leave your career for a while, and then coming back to it was that same sense of I'm not doing what I want to be doing. How can I do this differently? Right. You mentioned echo chambers <laughs> before and confirmation bias and so forth. And I hate to say it, but I 100% agree with you. <laughs> So absolutely, you know, we create this life where we we tend to be in this bubble where we have the same people, the same routines, the same things happening and so forth. And you kind of, you know, if you think about it, you ask yourself, well, how on earth could we possibly, you know, think of something else outside this box or this bubble? That's why I also always say, you know, start experimenting, do something different, try something different, whether that is meeting new people, whether that is taking on a volunteer job on the weekend where you get in touch with completely different people, perhaps that you work with or that you serve from a completely different socioeconomic background, you know, or or like class in society or whatever, maybe go traveling. And it doesn't have to be any of those specific things for anyone. It's just exactly what you're saying. Mix things up, try something different, especially when you try to get a different idea and you're looking for something then to do the same thing all over again and talk to the same people and so forth I think can be yeah detrimental (laughs) certainly not helpful yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and you know it's funny I joke that I'm the girl of hard knocks like it was I could have never awakened to a different path any other way other than life ragdolling me to the ground and, you know, getting totally humbled for me to go, oh, wait, there is another way. I'm that kid. Um, I was my mom's worst nightmare. I had to, you know, don't climb that tree. It's not sturdy. Climbed the tree, fell, you know. I love that. And I love naughty children. (laughs) I learned by hurting. (laughs) That's just how it goes. And that's okay. Like I'm, 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 I'm very okay with it, weirdly. <laughs> uh, that's hot. Don't touch it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> oh, it's adorable. Once I learned that about myself and realized that I'm a hands-on learner and some people mm-hmm. can learn from other people, some per- people can learn from books, I learn from doing. And once yeah. I accepted that about myself, my life became joyful because I was like, oh, I'm here to suck at stuff for a while before mm-hmm. I figure it out. And that's okay. Like, that process actually gives me confidence. So I'm just going to suck at as many things as I'm interested in and be okay with that. Cool. Permission to suck. Wow. Wow. But I I wish we would all think like that. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to say (laughs) that we need to learn a better way of dealing with mistakes and so-called failure, quote unquote, and setbacks and so forth. I think we are taught these days to avoid mistakes and, you know, being wrong at all costs. And but that's the way we learn and we grow. You know what? I had a teacher early on who really changed the course of my life in the most horrible way. I wasn't great at reading out loud and they would make me suffer through it. And it was such a punishment that I shied away from doing anything because I thought I'm going to just fail and it's going to be horrible. I carried this like trauma around from third grade or whatever. And I wish I knew then what I learned later, which was much later in my 20s is like, no, you are going to suck at stuff. But if you don't do stuff because you're afraid you're going to suck, then you're not going to do anything worthwhile with your life. And you can't build a new skill without sucking at it first. So I made it 
part of my internal language of, yeah, you're going to do this and you're going to suck and that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, that's okay. That's okay. You're not going to let that teacher win. Okay. That teacher was an asshole. (laughs) I love that. And I honestly, I have to give myself that same pep talk again and again, especially having worked in academia where I feel like the expectations are always so high and that you're the expert and don't ever say anything wrong. Also as a psychologist, you know, you can't possibly say anything wrong or tread on anyone's toes and, you know, and whatever you say, it has to be evidence-based. I try to work evidence-based as much as I can, but then how do you keep up with all the latest research? And now, by the way, I've exited academia and I don't actually work in a specific field anymore and it does my head in. It is so hard and it's like, my ability to show up on social media is only because I constantly have to give myself that exact pep talk. And before I started doing it, it was my friends doing it. I'm actually at a friend's house at the moment visiting here in Hamburg in Germany. And it was actually that friend who's sitting downstairs now. We were on a, a holiday together with them. And it was during that time, just after my son got better and so forth, where I was like, I, I want to keep teaching those workshops that I told you about before, you know, that I'd written. Um, but we just moved to the other side of the world. We'd moved to the south of France through my husband's job and so forth. And I knew that I can't just give those workshops. No one's going to come to those workshops because I didn't have a website. I didn't have any social media and I had no intention of getting onto social media. Part of that was because I thought to hit the right tone and not to say things wrong or to say something and to know that other people might see it and think, how can she say that? That's not the complete picture or that's outdated or whatever. Constantly have to tell myself it is okay to get things wrong. It is okay not to be perfect. It is okay not to you know, get everything right, especially not from the start. But it really is, as I think Brene Brown would say, it's about getting into the arena and especially not to listen to any people who are not in the arena themselves. And I really feel like that's what it's all about. So I'm with you. Oh, yeah. Social media, you can, I've gone through periods of social media where I've had analysis paralysis. Is this okay? Is that okay? Is this okay? Yeah. And I remember, It was my daughter, when my younger daughter was home, she's a wonderful writer and editor as I would have her edit stuff for me. And I would say, hey, can you put your eyes on this? And and then a week later, the same thing, I would change it a little bit and say, hey, can you put your eyes on this? She went, mom, why are you overanalyzing it? It was really great the first time. And I just remember Mm -hmm. going, you know, there's social media, there are amazing people. And then there's rabid dogs who are just looking to kind of like call you out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm allowing the rabid dog to take up too much space in my life. I'm just going to keep putting out what resonates with me. And you know what? If I have to go, ooh, sorry, got that wrong. That's called being human. Trying to Mm -hmm. put out only perfect media is called analysis paralysis because the landscape is constantly shifting. There is always going to be a new idea. And if somebody goes, oh, hey, Unique, that's interesting, but did you know da-da-da? And I can go, oh, amazing. And we can have a dialogue about what I don't know. But if I don't just allow that natural human interaction to happen, then I'm just sitting over here in my own little bubble going, is that okay? Is this okay? (laughs) Exactly. And how awful is that? And then you can't serve anyone out there. And it's also (laughs) a little bit about you can put the most perfect stuff out there. It's like someone will like it, someone else won't. And at the end of the day, all you can do is be yourself and do your best job. And the people who resonate with it will come to you and the others 
can find Hopefully, a different path. Yeah, you know? yeah find yeah, somebody exactly. else to follow. You mentioned something earlier that has stuck in the back of my head, which is we've all had that person in our life who it was like they were born knowing what they wanted to do. And mm-hmm. all they had to do was take every step to get there. Um, mm-hmm. And then the rest of us, like me, was like, I don't know why I'm here. What the hell am I doing here? What is this ball fl- flying through space? And what is my purpose? Did you ever figure out the difference between those two people? Why some people are just like, I know exactly the path I want to take. Why are some people mm-hmm. hardwired? I mean, do you, if you don't know, that's totally fine. But I'm just mm-hmm. fascinated. Like, how is that? Mm-hmm. I so know what you mean. It seems though, and look, I'm not really spiritual. I don't have any beliefs per se, but I know, you know, some people believe that we're souls, you know, they believe in reincarnation and maybe we're all on different paths and maybe we've chosen this life for a particular experience. Look, you can, you know, play with spiritual ideas like that. And that for some people can be, I guess, maybe comforting as well. I can't say, like I love playing with all kinds of ideas I can't say that I have a set belief and but that's probably also not why you asked me but (laughs) I don't know that there is any research to say oh and this is why some people are born with a set purpose and they are aware of it and you know what I actually don't think it matters and you know what I thought was interesting slightly sad slightly funny is that when you started talking about this and describing those people and clearly you weren't putting yourself into that basket, I 100% would put you into that basket because I don't think it matters whether you know when you're three that you want to be a chiropractor or not or whether you know it when you're 12 or by the time you finish high school. I think what matters is that first of all, you know whether you've hit that spot or not, whether you found your purpose or not, whether you're content, whether you feel as though you have, you are living your potential and you're realizing your potential or not. And the other thing is that you don't give up and you've never given up. You know, I know that it took, you know, the, for the world to come <laughs> crashing down on you and so forth, but you've never given up. And I think that's the beautiful thing. And if we want to throw some research into this, of course, we can talk about a growth mindset. You know, you said it before, it's not about making mistakes, it's about learning from mistakes. Um, and we can throw in, you know, a concept called grit by, you know, Angela Duckworth sort of research that basically shows that the number one characteristic distinguishing the successful from the unsuccessful is not things like your IQ, which is like so outdated anyway, or, you know, how many resources you have, whether your parents are rich or what school you went to, or what university you had access to, but it is your grit, meaning your Passion in combination with long-term goals, never giving up. I know you work for yourself, Unique. I work for myself. And you know, I don't know if you can relate, if you also experience this, but every now and then I look onto the internet and through Instagram or whatever, and sometimes I think, man, how did they make it? You know, like, and I think, and this is really judgmental and it's awful and I apologize. It's, it's, and it's I don't human. like this part about myself, but, you know, it's human. <laughs> well, you know, and, you know, sometimes it's because, you know, they don't work evidence-based at all. You know, what they're saying is like their studies not supporting what they're saying or preaching or whatever at all. And, but the thing is, it's because they've never given up. They put their message out there day after day. They show up. They do this every day whatever and then other people who you know are the most brilliant people and you just want them to succeed and you just they just sort of get a little bit in their ways also because 
And I've been there, oh my God, so many times. It's that constant doubting yourself and being so close to giving up or giving up a little bit for a little bit of time and then reminding yourself of the importance of grit again and jumping right back in. So I would have totally put you in that basket of those amazing people who are those go-getters because you did go for it. You never gave up and you knew whether you were hitting that spot or not. And I think those things are what really matters on this journey in life and not whether you had everything figured out by the day you were born. That's unfair. And and the thing is, life isn't fair. We all have different resources. You know, you come from a poor family, you come from an educated family. We're born in a country where there's war, you know, or we're born in little paradise Australia somewhere removed far away from everything else where the sun shines every day. And You know, life isn't fair and we know that, but we also know that while it's tougher for some people than others, we also know that a lot of your own success and happiness and flourishing really comes down to our daily actions. And I would say to like, you made what I went through very eloquent and I appreciate that because for me, it always felt very messy and uh, disconnected. But the one thing I will say was that I was aware that I was a multifaceted person and Mm -hmm. that this one part of me, I viewed it as the smallest part of me. So I viewed myself as a continuum of like, there's the smallest part of me that's always trying to take me down and sit in a corner contemplating the purpose of life and why am I here and humans and whatever, and depressive and anxious. But then there's the greatest part of me that's connecting, using my imagination, willing to fail, wanting to grow. And and I would be fascinated to know if in all people who are striving and have grit, if they notice the smallest part of themselves, the smallest part of themselves always challenging to flourish or, or to feel great, But I think being able to recognize it helped me integrate it where I was like, hey, there is this small part of me that is scared and sad and anxious, but there's also all of these other parts of me that are surrounding it. And I'm not going to let the little part of me take me down. I'm that little, that little naggy little leg. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to fail. I recognize you, but you are not taking the wheel. You're just, you're just one of the passengers. Yeah. You know what? I love that you highlight this because I, look, I don't know if those gritty people and those successful people always are aware of those other small naggy parts within themselves. My guess would be yes, at least if their success is going to be sustainable because we have to integrate all parts within ourselves. And again, you know, going against the toxic positivity, we can't just always be pull yourself together and know that you got this. And every now and then, if a pep talk is good for you, great, go for it. But if it means that you're ignoring or suppressing those other parts of yourself and you don't pay any attention to it, very unhealthy, not very sustainable, don't recommend whatsoever. So to be able to notice those feelings and thoughts or whatever, but in a mindful way, meaning we can accept it, but we don't necessarily identify it. We don't necessarily fuse with it. We can distance ourselves and we can notice it and let it pass and maybe work through it. At the end of the day, you know, if it's an emotion that you're experiencing, 
emotions are like data. They contain information for us. So let's look at what information that is. Is it a certain person or situation that triggers something in you where you might need to distance yourself or where you might need to have a conversation or whatever? So if it's emotions, you know, we can work through that. If it's thoughts, let's look at those thoughts. What are they, you know? Or that inner critic you mentioned. My goodness, Christine Neff's research and texts around self-compassion changed my life. How many people of us think that if we only raise the bar and we are so tough on ourselves, we will achieve so much more. You know, we've got to be hard on ourselves and so forth. Bollocks. Research shows it's the exact exact opposite. If we are self-compassionate, we do notice those parts in ourselves and we hear them and we see them and we integrate them. Doesn't mean that we surrender and we drown in self-pity. Very important distinction. Self-compassion has three elements, and that is basically that mindfulness, and it's that common humanity. So understanding that we're not the only ones going through this tough experience, and it's that self-kindness or asking ourselves, okay, so now what do I need and tending to that? But what I wanted to say is the difference between self-compassion and self-pity is that common humanity element of self-compassion that we don't go, oh, me, 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 why does this always happen to my, to me, but not to others, but that we understand we are all in this experience together. Everyone has their own challenges and so forth. Being self-compassionate and integrating all those parts is one of the kindest and healthiest and most productive things we can do for ourselves. So highly recommend. Absolutely, definitely, please integrate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Integrate. And sometimes in the shitstorm, you don't, we don't know, you know, it, it, why we're in the shitstorm. We don't know how we're going to get out of the shitstorm, um, but wow. we always do. And mm-hmm. sometimes the greatest learning is after the shitstorm where you ha- can actually unpack the shitstorm. And that's where you learn. Sometimes in the shitstorm, it's hard to learn. You're just kind of like, holy yeah. shit, what is going on? Yeah. You know, and you're, you know, if you're me, overwhelmed. You're, yeah, overwhelmed. And and to yeah. be overwhelmed, to be in the shitstorm, to not know if there's going to be a positive outcome sometimes is the process of growth. And then you get to the other side and you can look back and go, holy shit. Like this is what that shit storm gave me. And, you know, it wasn't while I was in death's door fighting for my life that I went, oh, this is going to give me my purpose. You know, so if yeah. it, it was like during that time, I was just like, I am meant to surrender. I made peace with death, which is such an incredible place to live from to go. I yeah. surrender. If I'm go, if mm-hmm. I'm supposed to die, I will die. And I will, but please make it happen quick because this kind of in-between stage really sucks. But to have gone through that, I don't walk around going, oh my God, I'm going to die one day. I go, all right, that's going to be the end of a fucking kick-ass story. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't mean every chapter is going to be amazing, but it means that I'm going to be willing to fail. I'm going to be willing to live and thrive and flourish. And I know you've been there because you can always identify truth. And when you post and when you share, I see truth in you. And I know that you've been there to that place. Having a child who is unwell as a parent, I think that that is the most profoundly painful experience on levels that most will never comprehend. So I see you and I understand that you've been through there and, and your penny dropped, which allowed 
gave birth to this whole nother. But it, even though you have your purpose, you know, you still face challenges. And I think that's the other thing. It's like, it's not just roses once you figure out your purpose. It's no, like, <laughs> unfortunately not. <laughs> it's hard work. It's continuing to learn. It's continuing to grow. Bloody personal growth. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> and I just sit on the beach and pretend nothing matters. Yes. <laughs> Sipping cocktails quick. <laughs> you, you posted, well-being doesn't arise from perpetually chasing the good and avoiding the bad. Mm. It emerges from our mm. ability to integrate and find balance among life's inherent contradictions, like being and doing, stillness and motion, ambition and contentment, taking risks and being prudent. And I saved that because I think that there's this idea that we do always have to focus on the good times and that if we're in the bad time, we need to find a way to make it good instead of just going, this sucks, this sucks, this hurts, I hurt, fuck, you know? Mm -hmm. And being there, being in that place of, this sucksness and that well-being is the capacity to navigate those dimes versus avoiding them. And I just, I really appreciated that post. So thank you. Oh, that makes me so happy. And hey, here's my disclaimer. Half of the posts, if not all of them that I put out there, I feel like I post them out there for people like myself. Because as I just said before, you know, I had that chat recently with a friend. We were on a holiday and, you know, I was away from the family and like, you know, good, like girlfriend time. And it was wonderful. And you come to stillness and you just you just wonder, you, it doesn't matter how much stillness you achieve, you're also pulled into that other direction. And I honestly instigated that chat with her of, I find that probably the most challenging part in life to integrate those forces that pull you into those opposite directions and to be well and okay and thriving amongst all of that. So I find it very touching that, this stood out to you and thank you for seeing me. And yeah, it means a lot. Thank you for helping people flourish. I do believe that the ultimate health of our well-being, both body, mind, and spirit is getting in alignment with ourselves, not meaning perfect alignment to find your purpose, yeah. but to allow the messiness of our lives to be while still navigating it and creating our well-being and not letting in my terminology, the smallest part of myself take me down, but allowing it to be there as a reminder that life is always going to throw challenges our way. It's how we navigate them. It's how we feel them. It's how we integrate them. That creates the overarching well-being and ability to flourish, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. Thank you. And thank you for, for coming on and chatting with me. I really appreciate it. For everybody listening, you can find Micah at the flourishing doc on instagram where else can they find you absolutely yeah as well as on facebook pinterest my website theflourishingdoc.com linkedin i love to connect with people on linkedin so dr michael neuhaus you'll find me there probably won't know how to spell my name that's fine i'll link <laughs> that everything. maybe you'll get there through my <laughs> awesome <laughs> I'll, I'll link everything well, in the show notes <laughs> well thank you again you are wonderful and continue putting it out there and i did see on your i poked around your website i saw you offer courses for those who are interested in beginning the conversation and figuring out how to flourish in their lives and I highly recommend it and you and thank you again wow unique thank you so very much I genuinely appreciated this chat it was wonderful to connect with you so thank you I would have never put the word flourishing to it 
but I love it now and I will definitely be using that for my life. How can I support myself flourishing? And flourishing for me will never be without the other side of the coin, which is struggle and growth because they are equally beautiful to me as flow and creativity. There's something about that birthing process that, um, albeit not always comfortable, feels essential somehow to the complete circle of living a full, beautiful life. I didn't start to flourish until I learned how to nourish and care for my body and live in a state of calm. I loved my conversation with Dr. Micah. I will definitely ask her to come back on at another point. I hope you enjoyed our conversation, got something out of it. And I hope wherever you are in this beautiful world, you are taking care of your amazing body because let me tell you, there is nothing more important than your incredible health and you. Have a wonderful night, morning, day, wherever you are in this beautiful world. Thank you.